Welcome back to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. What you're listening to today, it's a little bit different than the podcast episodes we've shared with you before. This episode, this person's story, is a part of Refocus Together, a special series the team at ADHD Online and I have been working on for ADHD Awareness Month. Every day throughout the month of October, we'll be sharing a different person's ADHD story, which is fitting because the theme for ADHD Awareness Month this year is understanding a shared experience. And I can't think of a better way to really get a sense of that shared experience than by telling a different story every single day. To be clear, yes, that's 31 stories in 31 days. Did I mention I'm a bit of an overachiever? My name is Lindsay Gensel, and along with the team at ADHD Online, I'm so excited to present Refocus Together, a collection of stories aimed at raising awareness on just how complex ADHD is and the different ways it shows up in people's lives. When we share stories, it's easier to find the perspective, ideas, and tips that help us live our best lives. I'm interviewing people with varying backgrounds, diagnoses, experiences, and perspectives. We'll hear from working parents, advocates, engineers, writers, PhD candidates, and more to learn that while we may be different, we are all united by our own ADHD journeys. was diagnosed with ADHD when he was 20. He had thought about it long before, always aware of his struggle with focusing and even feeling different from those around him, excluded, maybe even singled out because of who he was. The moment that pushed Alex to seek out help actually came from a conversation with a college friend. Sitting together in downtown Sioux Falls, South Dakota, near the window off a busy street, he was sure his friend was judging him. Alex could focus on everything happening around him, except for his friend. He was embarrassed, humiliated, and frustrated. And so he turned to something that has always brought him peace, his faith. Except when he found himself inside a chapel, a place that has always calmed him, he struggled to pray. He simply couldn't concentrate on something that had always been such a comfort to him. And that's when the doubt and the concern crept in. Alex sought out an ADHD referral from his doctor, but when his first assessment didn't go as planned, Alex, along with the support of his mom, pressed for one from a doctor who could conduct the tests that Alex needed. This appeal led to Alex's ADHD diagnosis, and all this time later, it's easy to see, that moment of advocacy has led to Alex leading a vastly improved life in so many ways. Today, Alex runs Reset ADHD, an ADHD coaching practice where he helps people struggling to reach their full potential to work with their brains and not against them. He was also a guest speaker at the 2021 International Conference on ADHD. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. Thanks for having me. Let's start by talking about your assessments because you did have two of them, essentially. While you were in the midst of that first referral with your doctor, were there any red flags or moments that made you think it wasn't adequate for what you would need personally? 
Yeah, I kind of felt like I had to do most of the talking. Um, and as an introvert, that's just nails on a chalkboard. Um, but anyway, uh, she asked me like a couple questions and was like, yeah, I don't think you have it. Um, and I basically had to advocate for myself. It, it didn't feel like she was actually listening to me. And like, I, she asked about my, my grades cause I was in college at the time. And I said, I got my first C recently and she's like, eh, that's not so bad. And yeah, it, it, but for you, it was later fast forwarding. Uh, I found out I'm in the 98th percentile for intelligence. So a C is not what I should be getting in school. Like my mom was always telling me when I was a kid, you should be getting all A's. And I didn't really believe in myself at that time. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked from the story. But yeah, so the red flags were that she just didn't seem that interested in actually testing me, doing any sort of looking for any sort of data other than just talking to me. And it was just inadequate i felt and so i imagine then you walk out of there you feel frustrated because you've got to this point you've advocated for yourself into this assessment and then it's not what you want and you don't feel supported and i'm curious what was so different about the second experience that second referral for adhd aside from going to a different like hospital system and if you're in sioux falls you know the two hospital systems but if you're not in sioux falls it's not going to make a whole a lot of difference to the story. The psychologist I went to the second time uh, actually, like, you know, did the interview, but also like ran tests to see, as I mentioned before, like where my intelligence level was and where I was performing on certain tasks. And it revealed that, you know, some areas I was average in my performance when I should have been above average, if that makes sense. So that's kind of one of the reasons I went so long without getting diagnosed is I'm, I'm smart. I can sort of mitigate any sort of challenges I might be having, or I can hide it. And I, hiding is something I do well. And so I've been working on that. The second referral was much more thorough. And I felt like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm actually gonna get some answers here. And they had me fill out one or two, like really long psychological profile things. And like, it took forever. Oh my gosh. The short answer is it was a very thorough experience. I'm curious how instrumental your mom's support was in pushing for that second opinion because you were an adult. And I think as a society, we sometimes just expect adults to get things done. And obviously, both of us having ADHD and knowing what we know about ADHD, that can sometimes be incredibly difficult. So, how important was that kind of sidekick in your advocacy role? You know, it's, it's kind of funny, like growing up, I always felt like my mom was against me, but in that moment, it was a moment of my mom saying, yeah, go seek out a second opinion. Cause she had seen the bill from the first doctor who was not in my insurance uh, network. And so it was quite hefty. And she's like, no, you should have gone to this other doctor. And so for the other health system in town, she's like, yeah, get a second opinion. They, they should actually run tests. And she's a teacher. So she kind of knows what an evaluation should look like. And she knew that the first one was not adequate. So it was a good moment for me and my mom. It sounds like it. And I know it can be hard. I think I'm not a parent. I tried to sometimes view myself through my mother's eyes. And I think 
they always just want the best for us. And kind of going back to what your mom would tell you as a kid, she had high expectations for you, probably because she knew you were capable of reaching them. I, you know, I wrote a poem one time and a line was, she believed in me, but I didn't believe in myself. I also think too, again, hindsight so important with ADHD. Sometimes we see support and encouragement as almost rejection. It's like we can't get out of our own ways. And so when someone's pushing us, we feel that it's very aggressive when in reality, it's them wanting the best for us. I would totally agree with that. I've just never thought of it that way. So. Oh, yeah. No, it's the things that you pick up talking to other people where you're like, oh, so you weren't being cruel in that moment. That was a good thing. <laughs> yes. It's, again, going back, hindsight is so important. And you've mentioned, you know, you know now where you fit in kind of the intelligence scale. And I love how confident you are saying I'm smart because I think we sometimes are so afraid to like shout out the things that are great about us. And being smart is such a setback for people with ADHD because you're automatically like taken out of the bucket. People go, oh, nope, you're a capable human. You can't have it. There's just no way. And obviously we know that that is just not the case. So knowing what you know now, when you look back at your childhood, are there any things that stand out as reasons why you didn't you know, get picked out as a small boy for having ADHD? Um, yeah, I think it was just, I, I'm more introverted and I have the inattentive type. So those two things combined make a lot of my symptoms interior. So I'm trying to think if there's any like, oh, here's a good story. In the third grade, we were sitting in class and we we're going through a workbook, worksheet, whatever it was. And the teacher was bouncing around the room, having different kids do different questions. And they were moving slower than me. And I was getting impatient. So I, I started to work ahead while at the same time trying to figure, figure out and remember where the rest of the class was. That way, if I got called on, I would know. And like the millisecond I let myself slip, that's when I got called on. She goes, Alex, do the next one. And I read the one they had just previously done. And she said, you're not paying attention and chewed me out. And I got in trouble. Um, and in your head, the shame that comes along with that moment and the embarrassment of your classmates thinking that you're not paying attention or you don't know what's going on when in reality, you're trying to go ahead because you can't sit at that pace. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. I'm feeling some some moments of my childhood coming up with that story. <laughs> it's hard. I think it's very hard because in the moment, you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't grow up in a family where we talked about our feelings. And so those moments, I wouldn't have come home and been like, hey, mom, this thing happened in class today and it made me feel really bad. You know, I would have hit it. And I feel like you probably did the same thing. Yep. I would not have wanted my mom to know that I got in trouble. Um yes. It's so interesting you say that is because I still, as a 36-year-old woman, have a really hard time with getting in trouble. I have a ton of stories, but anytime I do something that a normal person would just let roll off their back, I have to have a moment where I'm like, this is something that happens. People make mistakes. It's, it's unreal, the stuff that we allow ourselves to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking of... 
the hiding that goes on and just i think it's societal too where like we just want to like hide our faults and put out the best image of ourselves out there and then it's just not really who we are and like human beings are flawed naturally everyone's got their own foibles or whatever you want to call them well that's a perfect segue to my next question which is knowing what you know about yourself now and all of the reflection you've been able to do especially with the business you've built reset adhd what do you feel is your biggest struggle or your biggest hurdle when managing your own adhd i would say like getting stuff done is probably my biggest struggle but specifically things with like no set deadline or a deadline that's way out in the future i'll just not get around to it ever uh so one of the things i've had to do to prevent me putting things off and putting things off and putting things off is i have to like schedule it like this is when i'm going to work on it this is when i'm going to get it done and you know, I don't necessarily say at seven o'clock on Tuesday, I'm going to do it, but it's on my to-do list for Tuesday. And I'm pretty good at checking off my to-dos for each day just because I've written them down. And is that a part of your accountability, the writing it down? If it's written down and you know that it's on your list for the day, at the end of the day, you need to have it done? Yeah, I think that's it's kind of what it is. Um, so I write them all down in blue ink and then I cross them off in red ink just because die to do list item die. Um, uh, <laughs> Whatever. But here's the thing is you laugh, but it's like in your brain, in your world, that works for you. And I, I admire that because I'm still working on figuring out what my workaround is. Cause I, I struggle with the same thing. I love the early stuff. I like the getting started. I get really excited. I'm kind of an ideas person but it's figuring out how to actually put the work in to get it done in a timely manner when there are no immediate deadlines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the, the middle part is the tricky part because uh, the beginning can be exciting. As you said, sometimes I have trouble getting excited, getting started if it's not exciting, but uh, if it is exciting, yeah, my ideas will flow and I'll get started. But that middle grind um, is a little tricky. I'm curious if you had any idea you wanted to go into business by yourself before you were diagnosed with ADHD, because it's clear people with ADHD like to march to their own drum. And by that, I mean, they like to set their own schedules because we just, for the most part, a lot of us don't function in this like eight to five capacity. So when you were starting in college and kind of looking ahead to what life would be like as an adult. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. I, my first semester of college, my plan was to major in entrepreneurship. Um, and then I transferred after that one semester and they didn't have entrepreneurship as a major uh, at my new school. I ended up going down the accounting road for a little bit and that was a mistake. Um, but it did help me out later on because like now I... I know what I'm doing when it comes to bookkeeping, but, um, the silver linings. Yeah. So yeah, I was definitely interested in entrepreneurship, even in high school, but I, I had no idea what sort of business I wanted to open. It's so interesting that you say you were interested in entrepreneurship in high school. Cause I don't think I even knew what that was in high school. I was also an ideas person in high school, 
but there was never that wrangling of kind of putting what I was good at into an actual career path. <laughs> All of the things we the things we wish we could go back and change. So you have your to-do list, you have set up this plan, this accountability plan that works for you, where every day you know exactly what you need to do and what you need to work on. And you know that you don't have to assign a specific time for yourself. It's just like, these are the tasks I need to get done during the day. And you know you can kind of flow through them, however works best for you. Are there any things that you've tried in the past that you thought might be helpful for you and just realized very quickly that it was not going to be something that worked well with how your brain functions? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is scheduling out every minute of my day. Um, that's a lot of work and things happen in your day that you can't account for. Yeah. And with ADHD, you're not really good at estimating time, how long things will take. So the idea of working on a project for two hours, it might take you three, it might take you 45 minutes. You just don't know. And so I found myself when I tried to schedule out every minute of every day, I found myself with a lot of downtime or a lot of time where I was going over my projected time thing and it was just a mess. And so now I've kind of moved to this sort of to-do list where things are not time scheduled, but day scheduled and it works for me. And when you look at life and some of the struggles that you've had with ADHD, where do you see yourself thriving? Some people call it their ADHD superpower. What for you stands out as what makes you special because of your ADHD? I guess the thing that first comes to mind is creativity. Dr. Ned Hallowell calls creativity just impulsivity gone right. So um, one of the ways my creativity has been manifesting over the past uh, year and couple months is I've been doing improv. I did it in college and recently got into it again because uh, a guy came to town and was like, I want to start an improv group here in South Dakota. So yeah, I just noticed that I, I do well on the improv stage. And like even something, one of the really important things about improv is listening and paying attention to what's going on in the scene you're acting out. And I'm good at that in improv. And it doesn't quite make sense to me because I have ADHD and I shouldn't be a good listener. Shouldn't in air quotes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, even, even my director leader guy has said like, no, you're good at listening on stage. So right. Lots of air quotes in our lives. Aren't there? <laughs> it's, it's been a lot of fun and I feel like I, I'm doing well in it right now. It almost sounds like it's a good workout for your brain because it's something you're passionate about. And in order to be good at it, you have to listen. Whereas if you were sitting in a boardroom or, you know, for me, it was the massive uh, lecture hall at college where there's 250 people and it's just kind of, it's like the, the voice from, oh gosh, um, Snoopy and the gang, you know, the mom voice, the wah, yeah, Charlie Brown, Charlie thank Brown, you, Brown, yes, yeah. Yeah, the wah-wah voice. In your moment on stage, you are enjoying this and you want to be the best improv you can be. You want to bring that to the stage. So it's almost like it's your own little like brain workout, you know, training yourself in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also like explored ideas of how improv and ADHD are related. And 
how improv can help with ADHD and how improv helps me as a coach. Like I had to write a project for my coach training program and I wrote it on how coaching is improv and it was over a hundred pages long and I was not expecting to write that much, but it's what happened just because yeah, I'm passionate about it. It's a good workout for the brain and can help in a lot of different ways. I love that you are able to take something that you're passionate about that most people wouldn't be able to connect back to your business and be able to see how it makes you a better coach. I think that's fascinating. And it also is kind of a testament to how powerful ADHD can be because most people would go on that linear path of, yeah, no, this is my hobby. This is something that I just enjoy doing. And you've been able to take that skill set and bring it back in a way that I'm sure has been invaluable. Yeah, it really has. Um, just, you know, yes, anding, listening and co-creating and building together is, is it's, it's really fun for me. And so when I can do that with my clients, it creates a better coaching relationship. I'm curious what has been the biggest struggle being an ADHD coach. I imagine there are a lot of people who go, well, you have ADHD. Why would I take lessons from you? You know, like it's almost this idea of you should be going to somebody who doesn't have it, who can teach me how to live, a, again, the air quotes, a quote unquote, normal life. But the opposite side of it is the power you bring to the conversation as somebody who gets it. Yeah. And, and that's what I found is like when I talk with potential clients, uh, they're like, do you have ADHD? A lot of them want to know that I get it because they've been so misunderstood throughout their life. I just started with a client yesterday and when we were first talking, she found out I had ADHD and she was like, what? I can't, I can't believe that. Well, I think, I think as someone who has ADHD, I look at someone like you who is able to do something so structured. Like I can do work for myself and I can do work that has to be delivered, but you are setting up your life to support other people. And that to me is fascinating. Like I applaud you because to figure out how to run your own schedule and make it work to help other people. I think there are a lot of us with ADHD that just are like, nope, no way. <laughs> Everyone with ADHD has their own unique flavor to it. So it's going to be what works for you. Some people will do well in an unstructured environment. Other people will need that heavy structure. And sometimes you need a hybrid of the two. So it really depends on the person. I want to move on to kind of looking forward, because I think for a lot of us with ADHD, you get the diagnosis, you start to figure out how your brain works, and you go through these experimental phases of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And going back to what you mentioned about plotting out your day minute by minute, and I laugh because I've tried to do it too. And you said, you know, well, one thing takes longer than I expected it to. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the cards have fallen. The whole day's a mess. I start to feel bad about myself. I start to think, why can't I just stay to the schedule? What is giving you hope right now? When you look at where you are right now, what's pushing you forward? It's just that people are talking about it. Mental health in recent years has gotten more attention and people are starting to talk about it more. Sure, maybe not enough, but it's growing. The number of people talking about mental health is growing. And so um, that's one aspect of like what's pulling me forward. But 
the other aspect of what's pulling me forward is knowing that there's a lot more to do here in South Dakota. Like I'm the only ADHD coach. I did recently learn of a guy who's going through coach training. So I'm excited to have a colleague here in South Dakota, but uh, yeah, resources for ADHD are just not plentiful here. They're quite scarce. And so on the one hand, people are talking about it more. On the other hand, there's a lot to do. And so that's kind of what's driving me forward, if that makes sense. Does that answer the question? It totally does. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, going back, you mentioned you're in a city where there's two healthcare systems and that's what you got to choose from. And you went to one and it didn't work. And thank goodness you went to the other and it did work. But what would have happened had you gone to the other one and you still felt disappointed? Like, there's your options. Yeah. I, yeah, I know people who have in rural areas have had to like drive long distances to find the help they need and to get that diagnosis. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that the second one worked out. Do you ever have dark days, dark days where you feel like it's just a lot of work? I mean, I get days where I just feel exhausted from all the added work I have to do to feel like I'm just scraping by, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have dark days. And one of my comorbid conditions is depression. And so um, dealing with that is very hard to... Some days it's very hard just to check off the bare minimum of what I need to do. And I think on those days, I have to be kind to myself and make deals with myself, essentially, where I can... If I can just get these things done, I can, I can give myself a break or whatever. Or if I read for the class I'm taking, I'm going to take a nap afterwards because reading makes me sleepy. Yeah, so th- there are dark days, but hopefully the dark days don't outweigh the bright days, if you want to call them that. That's a great way to look at it. I mean, that's kind of the only way you can look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do want to ask about your faith and the connection between your faith and ADHD. So I'm asking this as someone who has faith, but I don't belong to a a church or a community, religious like-minded people. I did grow up going to church. And so I do know that sometimes in certain churches and in certain religious communities, there's this disconnect between psychology, where ADHD would fall in, and religion. And so I'm curious how you've been able to bridge that gap. And I assume because faith is so important to you that you have found a place where you do feel supported. Yeah. Uh, the pastor of my church is a psychologist. Um, he's got a PhD and then, and then went into the priesthood. Um, so he's, he's really interesting to talk to. Um, and he's done just a whole bunch of stuff with his life. He's a fascinating person, but that's not the point of the story. Um, yeah, so the faith aspect of it is is tricky because there aren't a lot of resources out there um that deal with um faith and mental health. Uh there are a few with like depression and stuff like that and a recent book came out on Catholicism and autism. But when I was looking for support with my ADHD specifically in matters of my faith, there was nothing or there wasn't nothing, but there was a couple of things here and there that were just not adequate in my opinion. 
And so I, I was really struggling with, okay, how do I manage my faith and my ADHD at the same time? And so I was looking for a book that would help me, but I couldn't find one. And that's when the little voice in the back of my head said, well, one of your favorite authors only writes a book when there's a book out there he wants to read that doesn't exist. And so I said, well, I can give it a shot. I'll just do it as an experiment. Start writing a book and see if it turns into anything. And it, and it did. And also like through the process of writing that book is when I discovered that I have a passion for helping others with ADHD. And that led to me becoming a coach. It's very clear you're a problem solver. And I very much admire the fact that you have gone into learning about yourself. And when you've come to a roadblock where you didn't feel like things were adequate, instead of feeling defeated or letting that get you down, you've looked at it as, all right, I know that this is something that is needed because I need it. And I'm going to do what I can to make sure that whoever comes behind me and gets to the same roadblock gets to move forward. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. I've never really thought of it that way. You know, I think it's one of those things where like, I just have a natural instinct to help people and make the world a better place. And I, I, I like your observation that I'm a problem solver, which is, is good, but there are also times where it gets me into trouble where I'm trying to solve somebody's problems and they just want a shoulder to cry on. Or you decide to take on a problem that you feel like no one else is going to take on and then you let it consume your life when in reality you should maybe have thought about taking that on given a little bit more time. Yeah. That's that's the thing about my brain. It wants to solve problems and if it sees a problem that seems like oh, it's just so simple. I can latch onto it and then realize okay, maybe it's not as simple. Like the perfect example of that is immigration. Whether you're on the right or you're on the left, the two sides can't agree. And to me there are compromises you can make that would make it so much simpler. So like I've spent a lot of time thinking about how do we solve the immigration problem in the United States? And Ah, it's exhausting. And if I were to like let myself dive even further into it and like actually take action, I would have to like run for office. And that wouldn't mean having politicians as my coworkers. And no, I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> isn't it funny how we see something and we can feel compelled to want to do something about it. And then all of a sudden you're laying in bed one night, replotting your entire life for this one situation that came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just the beauty and the downside of having an ADHD brain. Our brain has great imaginational powers. And so it can lead to a lot of really good things, but it can also cause a swirl. And that's something I've had to like, be very careful about avoiding is the swirl of ADHD. Well, I want to wrap this up by asking you if you were to, you know, stake your platform on this is what everyone needs to know about ADHD and the world will be a little bit of a better place. What's that message? Uh, it's that the stereotypes aren't true. I mean, yes, they are true, but there's more to it than that. So a perfect example is the stereotype of an ADHD person is a young boy who can't sit still. But it's more than that. It's women and girls. It's adults. It's not just young boys. 
one of the things that uh, I've done recently is I've joined the board of the Inattentive ADHD Coalition, and their their mission is to raise awareness of the inattentive type of ADHD because the symptoms are more internal. It's easier to go undiagnosed when you have inattentive ADHD. And so their goal is to get kids diagnosed who have inattentive ADHD. And if you go to their website, they've got a screening tool for inattentive ADHD in young kids. So my platform, so to speak, is ADHD. It's not what you think. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I also wrote a blog one time about the squirrel stereotype of ADHD is <gasps> squirrel. It, it really irritated me for a long time that people said that squirrel whenever ADHD came up in conversation. And so I was thinking about it one day and I was on vacation while I was thinking about it. And I realized that while I was on that vacation with my siblings, I was pointing out every dog that I saw. <laughs> that was your squirrel. That was my squirrel. It was a dog. So there are some truths to the stereotypes, but it's so much more. And it's it's a very complex issue. And it's not just simply give them medication and have them go on their way. And I feel like that's a lot of doctors uh, in the world, but especially here in the United States. It'd be great if you could. Yeah, that would be great. But it's it's so much more. Pills don't teach skills, as they say in the coaching world. The way it was explained to me is medication just levels the playing field. And then you have to like, again, acquire the skills to get stuff done. I like that. Pills don't. What was it again? Pills don't teach skills. Pills don't teach skills. That's a, a great thing to remember because I've had a lot of people ask me about my journey. And it's like, yes, I started on medication right after getting diagnosed. And I like that idea of it. It evens the playing field. It's like, don't feel like I'm so far behind when I start my day. It's like I, my brain has more of what it needs to actually accomplish certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining me on Refocus with Lindsay Gensel and for sharing your story in this 31 stories uh, throughout the month of October. I truly appreciate your candidness and your energy of trying to help people, especially people with ADHD. I think it's just, it's really, really lovely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It, it was a pleasure. Alex High is the brain behind Reset ADHD, an ADHD coaching practice where he helps people struggling to reach their full potential to work with their brains and not against them. You can find out more about Alex's story and the work he's doing by visiting resetadhd.com. Thanks to fellow Minnesota sports fan Alex High for joining me on Refocus Together. To find out more about the work Alex is doing, you can visit ResetADHD.com. I also have the link available in the show notes. Refocus Together is a special series created for ADHD Awareness Month with the help of Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Dutler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, and the entire team at ADHD Online. That includes my teammates, Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pipp, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandunny, and Lauren Radley. Thanks to Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, to Cameron Sterling and Candace Lefke, 
Thanks to Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Gelbard, Phil Rodeman, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at Refocus Pod.